This is episode 294 with doctor of physical therapy, host of the Healthy Runner podcast, and certified running coach, Dwayne Scotty. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and the goal of this show, strengthrunning.com, and our YouTube channel is to help you better understand the process of improvement. Because when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll be a much better runner. And I'm happy to connect anytime. So feel free to reach out through strengthrunning.com, on Instagram at JasonFitz1, or find me on the Strength Running YouTube channel. And if you enjoy the podcast, please support the companies that help make it possible. First, my favorite running sunglasses company, Gooder. If you watch my videos on YouTube, you know that I've been wearing Gooder sunglasses for nearly a decade now. They're super affordable, starting at only $25. They're made for running, so they stay on your face, and the styles are just wild. Go to gooder.com slash strengthrunning, and you'll get free shipping. They also offer a 30-day money-back guarantee and a 100% satisfaction, but I know you're going to find a pair you love from the hundreds of styles and colors that they have. Find yours at gooder.com slash strengthrunning to get that free shipping. We're also supported by another one of my favorite companies. What can I say? I only like bringing you guys the best. Elemental Labs makes my favorite electrolytes. High sodium, zero sugar, and absolutely delicious flavors that are perfect for when the weather is starting to get warmer and your sweat rate increases. Prevent the symptoms of electrolyte imbalances like headaches, cramps, fatigue, and weakness with Element. And they're offering you a free gift with your purchase if you go to drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning. They'll send you a sample pack with one packet of each flavor that they have so you can try them all out before committing. Go to drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning to claim your free gift. Okay, my guest today is Dr. Dwayne Scotty, a physical therapist, board-certified orthopedic clinical specialist, certified running coach, and host of the Healthy Runner podcast. He's the founder of Spark Healthy Runner, and after spending years in the gym, finally decided to become a runner as an adult and immediately got hooked. That tends to happen, right? Dwayne is also a prior guest in episode 141, so if you'd like to learn about how to keep your hamstrings strong, healthy, and pain-free, episode 141 is for you. In today's conversation, we're doing a deep dive on shin splints. This annoying injury can present in several different ways, and it usually requires a combined physical therapy and a coaching approach to resolve. We're going to go into detail on the types of shin splints that runners can have, the differences between shin splints and stress fractures and compartment syndrome, effective prevention and treatment options, high-level prevention principles for those who've never had shin splints and would like to keep it that way, and more. If you're someone who's hurt, it's time to break free from this cycle of injuries and stay healthy long-term. Get Strength Running's best injury prevention advice at strengthrunning.com slash prevention today. And now, without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Dwayne Scotty. All right. Hey, Dwayne. Welcome back to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Jason. Yeah. So three years later, we're back again. And uh, this is going to be fun because I really want to do a deep dive on uh, a very common injury that runners have, and that's 
shin splints. And I really want to put your physical therapy expertise to the test today. I want to download your brain into the minds of our listeners about shin splints and how we can prevent them. So we're really going to get lost in the weeds today. And I want to start with a kind of a silly question. It's so basic, but I actually think I would struggle answering it. What are shin splints? Yeah, this isn't actually a silly question because when you Google it, you'll find like all types of crazy things. And really, when we get to the prevention part, um, you're going to find all different types of information. So this is a common problem that a lot of new runners especially are going to face. And I'll try to kind of keep it simple here, but really... What it is, is pain on your shin bone. So we have two bones in our lower leg. We have the tibia bone, and then we have the fibula, which is a small bone on the outside that doesn't account for a lot of weight bearing. And where most runners are really going to get their pain in their shins is toward the inner part of the lower leg bone. So right on that shin area, And there are many other diagnoses that can pretend to be shin splints. So shin splints technically is really what we call medial tibial stress syndrome, which is the bone on the inside part of that tibia or lower leg gets irritated. And it's the outer layer of that bone. So it's what we call the periosteum. And that can get inflamed, create pain. And really where this creates problems is most runners will start out running and they get gun ho. Let's say the weather gets nice or your friend, you know, talks you into signing up for a half marathon or a marathon. And you're like, yes, let's do this. Um, you know, whether or not you're, you you want to run your first, you know, half or full and, you know, you go out there, guns a blazing, you, you download a plan and you start running and your shins start hurting you. So that's usually where we start to, you know, run into trouble here. And, you know, it is really this overload of the tissues right on the bone area. So right where the connective tissue kind of attaches to the bone. So I have had shin splints many times in my running career. And you did say that it does tend to affect newer runners rather than, you know, runners with years and years of experience. And, you know, truthfully, I remember getting shin splints, not regularly, but but somewhat consistently in high school. And then a little bit, maybe my freshman or sophomore year in college. And so essentially, for the first five or six years of my running career, I had shin splints off and on. But after that, I almost never had shin splints. So for me, it resonates very personally that this is an issue primarily with newer runners. Um, now, I did want to talk a little bit about where runners are experiencing this discomfort when they have shin splints. Now, I always had shin splints on the outside of my leg. So it wasn't on the inner side of that shin bone. It was actually on the outer side. And it did feel more muscular than like the bone tissue. And I was wondering if you could just speak to that. Yes, no. And there are different locations. So the I guess the most common, right, kind of term for shin splints was that medial tibial stress syndrome, but there are many other tissues that can cause pain in the lower leg. One of those tissues, as you alluded to, is kind of the front or outer part of the leg. So you can get really where the anterior tibialis muscle is or your extensor muscles, and you can get these anterior shin splints, um, we call them, or you know, those muscles will start to 
you know, get some peen around that area. You know, the other area you can have peen is really on the outside part. Um, not as common, but over kind of near the peroneal muscles, kind of on really the outer part of the leg. And then you can also have inner lower leg pain that is technically not the periosteum and right on the bone, but it is the soft tissue. And usually that's the posterior tibialis muscle and or tendon where we can get this posterior tibialis tendinopathy um, that is winds up being like this chronic tendon type of injury. And I guess the biggest thing, Jason, that I really want, you know, your listeners to know is that this can be very frustrating. Like you said, your story is classic, right? Like many, many high school, college, um, you know, athletes get this. And it really is because of that sudden change in load and training load in their bodies that they go from summer of doing nothing, especially, you know, when someone's first getting into um, cross country and they don't know that they really need to build a base and like train before the season actually starts. And then, you know, the first week of school hits and now they're running five days a week and now they're packing on all this mileage in a short amount of time. So this is extremely common in our young runners or like I said, any of our young professionals, you know, the 20 year old uh, crew and even 30 year olds, um, I see a lot of that, you know, get this when they go to tackle their first marathon and they were like a casual runner or they're that like gym runner, which is really where I started out. And this was actually the thing that I felt when I tried to run on the treadmill in the gym. And I was like, my body's not meant to be a runner. I will never be a runner because my shins hurt every single time. So I guess, you know, the biggest thing I really want your listeners to know right now, Jason, is that if you have this, this is extremely common and it doesn't mean that you can't run, that you're not a runner and you can develop actually a strong running body so you can actually stay healthy to withstand a training cycle or train for a race. Um, because I know that's a big goal of many runners and they get so discouraged and they get this pain and they go to the traditional medical provider who maybe is not a runner, maybe doesn't see a lot of runners in their practice. And they tell them, well, it's because you've been running five times a week, or it's because you've been running now. So maybe running isn't right for you, or maybe, you know, we should just stop running for four weeks, let your pain calm down, try some ice, try some rest, try some anti-inflammatories. And then when it goes away, then you can start running again. And that's the common information a lot of runners are given. And it, it puts them in this constant struggle and injury cycle that they're in. And they just feel like, how come I can never be a runner? My friend, I see all their posts and they're doing these races. They're doing these amazing things, but how come I can't? So I guess I want to instill some hope in anyone who really tuned into this today is that there is a way, there is a strategy, and you know you just need to really honestly follow you know six parts of like your running journey so you can optimize your body so it can run strong and last long. For sure, Dwayne. And I remember when I had the worst shin splints of my running career, I was a freshman in college. And it was this scenario where they really only hurt when I was running hard. So that meant 
every workout I tried to run, my shins would flare up. And it made me feel as a, a newer runner on this new college team that I was on, that I was just sandbagging every workout because I didn't want to face any kind of discomfort. And so if I had listened to that little voice at that time telling me, well, maybe you're not cut out for college workouts. Maybe you're not cut out for the difficulty of college cross country. You know, I, I never would have had some of the best experiences of my life. You know, I, I tend to think shin splints are, uh, you know, a relatively minor injury compared with many others, but they are persistent and they are just very common, you know? So I think if we recognize the fact that many runners get shin splints, you know, this is not an injury that means you're not a runner and it's not an injury that's likely going to end your season. Um, can you talk about the differences between shin splints and compartment syndrome? Because that is a discomfort that runners can experience almost in the same exact place, but is actually a more serious injury. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up because there are a couple of kind of what we call red flags that we want to rule out and make sure that it is not um, a couple of different kind of differential diagnoses that we'll talk about. One is exertional compartment syndrome, and then the other is stress fracture. So, you know, compartment syndrome is really where you get an increase in pressure in the compartment of your lower leg. So it's all throughout the lower leg. And usually this will be, um, you know, occurring in someone where it, it starts to feel like this deep achy sensation in their lower leg that just increases as they do more endurance, um, running and it could be swelling all throughout as well. And, you know, sometimes you'll actually see changes in the skin integrity where the skin just looks like shiny. It feels like super tight and like taut. And I've seen, you know, definitely a couple of folks who have had this and, you know, that, that is not shin splints and it can be a little confusing to differentially diagnose, but for the most part, if you have compartment syndrome, it is like all over shin splints for the most part will be in one of those locations that we talked about, whether it's the outer or it's the front, or it's like the front middle part of the shin. Um, whereas this compartment syndrome is usually going to be like all over that lower leg area. But yeah, you definitely want to, you know, if, if you think you have this, then that is, you, you definitely want to see a medical doctor and, you know, get that ruled out. Um, because, you know, in the extreme cases and scenarios, there is actually a surgery for that. Um, there's not surgery for shin splints. Yeah. Thankfully we don't need surgery for <laughs> shin splints. Um, yeah, I would say compartment syndrome is much more rare than shin splints. Is that right? Absolutely. Yes. So yeah, if someone is experiencing lower leg discomfort, it's probably shin splints. You know, I've, I've just been around so many runners for the last I think 25 years while well, I'm aging myself, but, uh, I have never met someone, not even met an individual who has ever had compartment syndrome. So, you know, definitely a risk. I would say probably the stress fracture is the more likely source of pain. If it's not shin splints, um, how would you feel the difference between shin splints and a stress fracture? Yeah. And those are definitely a little bit um, more difficult to differentially diagnose. But generally speaking, um, when you have a stress fracture, it is going to be very pinpoint specific localized pain. And it is going to be more of 
depending upon how it progresses, but it can be sharp. Um, and it is more of that really localized type pain that doesn't go away with running. Sometimes shin splints can only, you know, you feel it in the beginning. It almost behaves kind of like a tendon injury. If anyone's ever had like Achilles tendon pain or even plantar fasciitis, even though it's not a tendon, it kind of behaves like one um, where you feel in like the beginning of the run, then it goes away. And then you feel toward the end. You know, if you have a stress fracture, you're feeling it all throughout the run. And then the other sign too, is like, if you're getting pain at night, that's kind of waking you up. Um, that is definitely one of those signs that, hey, this is not going away. And then there are some other tests, you know, they're not excellent in terms of, um, you know, validity and diagnostic accuracy, but you can do like a little hop test where, you know, if you hop on that leg and it like sends some sharp pain it, right in that area on your tibia bone that you're having pain, then, you know, that is something you do want to rule out because if you do in fact have a stress fracture, then you definitely want to get that diagnosed appropriately because unfortunately this is really the only time I ever really tell a runner with an injury that they do actually need to stop running. Um, shin splints, you won't have to stop running and you will be able to actually get over your shin splints um, without having to stop running. So thank you for bringing that up. So if we do rule out shin splint, or I'm sorry, we rule out stress fractures, we rule out compartment syndrome, and a runner just has your garden variety case of shin splints how do you think about running through them? So I'm glad that you are saying, you know, this is not something that you have to just sit on the couch and <laughs> not do anything for a couple of weeks, but you know, we can't actually run through this. How can we run through it? Is this something where we have to be careful about intensity or volume, or are we letting pain be our guide? What are some guidelines for runners who might be experiencing shin splints and still want to get on with their training? Yeah, this is a really good question. And it really is the reason why, Jason, honestly, after, you know, being a sports physical therapist for, you know, 20 years of my career, why I actually wanted to learn more about the training side of running and coaching side is because a lot of it does relate to your training. And how we get over shin splints, really, or how do we continue to run and continue to train um, despite having shin splints, it really, you know, relies on kind of, as I alluded to before, kind of six parts of your running journey. And I really look at these, you know, as a holistic framework in order to be able to get over shin splints. So, you know, the six parts real briefly are really the mindset and the education piece of it, the strength training or the strength exercises that are going to actually help get over shin splints your run plan. So the training, right? The actual running that you're doing. Nutrition is important. I don't want to overlook that. Recovery is important. Don't want to overlook that. And then if you are racing, that's kind of the sixth variable. Um, but all of those need to be really optimized and applied to kind of shin splints. And I guess, you know, just starting with the mindset piece, we kind of talked about this before, is really just realizing that Things will need to be modified, but you don't want to go through these drastic, no running for two to three days, and then you're going to run for four or five days, and hopefully your shin pain doesn't come back. You're going to need to be okay with modifying your plan that you're following or that you're working with your coach on and knowing that actually 
either turning down the intensity of those runs. So if you're doing speed work, then maybe we're not because speed a lot of times is going to result in more forces as it's applied through your foot up through your shin bone that will usually increase pain in people who have shin splints. So perhaps not doing some interval work on the track and taking it down a notch and maybe substituting some more threshold and tempo runs in your training. Or if you're doing threshold tempos for like marathon training, then maybe, you know, just doing some strides once or twice a week to really get that leg turnover and work on that running form, but kind of modifying intensity, modifying how long you're out there, your duration of your runs. So you know, just knowing that and knowing that this is a common problem, it will get better. There is no surgery. And as long as you take the steps that we're going to talk about, you know, this is not going to result in a catastrophic injury. If you ignore your symptoms and you just have the mindset of no pain, no gain, like marathon training's hard, it should be painful. And I need to run through this then yes, you are risking this progressing and it going from the periosteum. And we do know that research shows that a lot of the inner bone for those that have this repeated inflammation of the outer periosteum, the bone density is actually a little bit less. So you're more at risk for getting a stress fracture. So this is one of those things that if you ignore it, it can progress to something catastrophic, which is going to be a stress fracture because now you're not going to be able to do the thing that you love and be able to run. But it is really, you know, getting that proper mindset that, hey, there are strategies, you know, I just need the proper guidance in how I modify what I'm doing right now. I could still stay active. I could still run and do the thing I love. I might just need to adjust my short-term running goals right now for the long-term gain that I'm going to obtain, if that makes sense. Totally. And, and I am glad that you gave running coaches a little bit of do here because I do think shin splints is an interesting injury. I think it's probably very different than other injuries in that it's, it's likely much more amenable to treatment with training interventions rather than, you know, specific treatments at like a PT's office. So I, I don't want to ruffle your feathers as a physical therapist, but you know, this might be a really good like job for the coach, right? Hey, no, no ruffling feathers at all, Jason. It is one of these things like seriously, um, you know, I, any good running coach, honestly, is going to most likely be able to get their athlete out of shin splints. And that was like one of the huge eye openers for me as a PT um, when I, you know, started doing, you know, run coaching and honestly, Jason, like I have a couple of run coaches on my team, like I will put them against like many of the PTs I know, like no offense, PT, like PTs. I love you guys. You know that. Um, but they honestly will be able to get a runner out of shin splits probably a lot better than your kind of, let's say, average garden PT who doesn't work with a, a lot of runners out there. Um, so yeah, no, you know, runner, run coaches like you guys get some serious respect um, here. <laughs> Thanks, Dwayne. Um, let's talk a little bit more about this because I think now we're getting into the, the exciting part where, you know, if someone has started experiencing some shin splints, you know, now we're at the point of okay, let's stop the progression so this doesn't get any worse and you actually start feeling better. And so, 
you know, my very general approach to shin splints is to reduce the training load and also inject as much variety as possible into this athlete's training. Um, and I was just wondering, you know, from your coaching perspective, what are some of those interventions that work really well at helping reduce the discomfort of shin splints and, and just getting the runner more, you know, capable of withstanding all the forces of running so that, you know, they can do the training that they want to do without constantly having to modify things and, and cut down on that workload. So I agree totally as far as adding some variability in the forces that are being applied to the shin. So we can talk, you know, variability in running shoes. And I am a big fan of most runners having at least two. And if you're more of an advanced runner, you've been doing this for a while, three or four shoes that you're rotating throughout your week. Because, And I usually recommend that they're not new all at the same time, right? You're rotating through one that has 100 miles on it, one that's got, you know, 200 miles on it and different types of running shoes because that's going to apply different forces to your body versus the same exact running shoe. And, you know, especially if you're a beginner starting out, you probably have one running shoe. You know, make sure your mileage it, that it's been tracked or how long you've had it and the wear pattern. Um, if it's been the shoes that you've been wearing to the gym for the last three years and now you're running in them, most likely you want to get a new pair because the foam and the densities of shoes do wear down over time. So I guess just kind of variability in terms of shoes, I'll kind of go there. And, you know, the misconception too is, and I don't want to say, I hope that didn't come across as like your shoes are causing your shin splints because I know that's a common misconception is, you know, you just start getting a new pair of shoes. No, it's this shoe, it's that shoe. And the shin splints never go away. Um, but variability in shoes, variability in surface. So definitely, you know, thinking about the surface you're running on, are you always running on concrete sidewalk surface? You know, can you get on asphalt or can you get on a track a day or two? Can you do it on a treadmill. I actually, it is interesting because a lot of people have the misconception that um, running outside is worse for your joints and it's going to add more stress to your body, add more load. Um, that's not necessarily true because your muscles actually adapt to those demands and kind of soften your load. But I actually see shin splints a lot in treadmill runners. Um, and I do think it is because of the bounce of the treadmill and like you wind up smacking harder and there's less variability because you're not oftentimes like changing the elevation every like 30 seconds, right? Maybe you'll change it every mile or two, which I highly recommend if you're running at the same elevation on a treadmill for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour, that's the same exact amount of forces that are being applied up through your shin every single step that you take. So you know, if you are running every run on the treadmill, I would encourage you to go outside, especially if your goal is an outdoor race event. Um, so we do want to mimic the demands that we're going to be facing on race day. But if you're always running outside, maybe changing it up, doing one day on the treadmill. So kind of changing the surface, um, you know, can help. And then as we kind of talked about before, just, you know, varying these speeds. And I know you're a big fan of strides, um, you know, and adding some of that in just to get some leg turnover. And, you know, even if someone is running only easy runs out there, I'll add in some strides just to kind of change the forces that are applied through the leg um, at that time. 
I love all this. I'm I'm sitting here like quietly fist pumping because I'm I'm so on board with all this. You know, I I have this this approach where you know if I'm experiencing, let's say I'm out doing a workout and one of my shins just starts getting really tight. What I do is the next day I like to change as much as I can about the run that I'm about to go on than the day before when my shins started to hurt. So if I'm doing a workout, I'm definitely going to be running easy. I am going to vary the shoes that I'm wearing. So I'm going to put in a different pair of shoes, you know, potentially with more cushion or maybe with less cushion just so that, you know, I feel a little bit more responsive and my feet are kind of just slapping the ground. Um, I'll also update the, the terrain, like you mentioned, you know, if, if I'm doing a track workout or a workout on the roads, I'm definitely getting on a softer surface, not just really for the softness of the surface, but for the variability of the surface, whether it's grass, dirt, an actual, an actual trail, you know, whatever it is, it's going to be so much better than concrete or, or even the treadmill. You know, you were talking about the uniformity of the treadmill and the fact that, you know, you're running on exactly the same surface. And typically, you know, maybe you're, maybe you're changing the pace a little bit, but it's the same pace on the same surface with no inclined variability. And is there's just the potential there for so much repetition that you experience one of these repetitive stress injuries. So I like to vary the repetitive nature of running as much as I can, especially the day after a niggle, whether it's shin splints, you know, whether my Achilles starts to get cranky or whatever it is, that variability can just subtly change the stress my body is under. And not every, not every time, but a lot of the times I actually feel great the next day. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, same here. I've definitely felt some of these niggles as well myself and, and they can be very, you know, and that's where like, you know, working with a coach, as you know, you know, is helpful too, where you can be able to add those comments and, you know, training peaks or final surge and, you know, be able to get some feedback on how you do, you know, modify if you do modify like what you have planned for the next day and can kind of take that guesswork away and prevent you from like freaking out that like, oh my goodness, I got this major injury. You know, maybe I just shouldn't run for two to three days because I think that again is like how everyone's been trained, um, you know, in the past of, hey, you have an injury, like maybe you should take it easy, like just, you know, rest. And a lot of times, you know, often you don't need to if you make some of the modifications that we just talked about um, in terms of like your run plan. Dwayne, one aspect of this that I want to ask you about, and, and you mentioned it briefly beforehand, but you said how beginner runners might be more susceptible to shin splints. Are there certain groups of runners that might be more likely to get shin splints that just have to be a bit more aware of this? So we certainly have the, the new runners, the beginners, the people who are just getting into the sport. They certainly have to keep an eye on this problem. Anybody else? It is, you know, definitely more that new runner, but also those that, um, you know, what we would call kind of maybe you know, they're, they're striding a lot and, and really we call this kind of overstriding and, you know, there are different strike patterns and, you know, these are going to be more common and not to say that all heel strikers, um, you know, will have this problem, but those that have a pretty large heel strike. Uh, so for all my runners, we do a little like running gait analysis and take videos. And there's some people I see their toe like way up when they're striking the ground. So they're like a very big heel striker, but it's, it's not the heel strike that is bad by any means. 
it's usually what's often associated with it, that someone's really reaching out for the ground and they're what we call overstriding. So really the center of mass when their foot hits the ground is way in front of the knee. And really what that causes is like running with the emergency brake on or the parking brake because your heel smacks the ground and it sends these forces up through the shin. And you know, that is a lot of force. So when we run some studies show anywhere from three to six times, our body weight um, is going through the ground. So, you know, if, if you think about that, and that is a common running form error that we see in novice runners, just starting out um, is really this overstriding. So, you know, that is something common that I see as well as like runner's knee. Um, a lot of those runners will either get one of those two conditions, shin splints or runner's knee. And, you know, just even adding the simple cue, not even getting into like complex cues of just taking short, quick steps when you're running and trying not to reach out, you know, with your foot out in front of you and just try to land underneath your knee when your foot hits the ground um, can be very helpful. And there's definitely been research that shows um, those with a lower step rate or, you know, what we are calling kind of cadence. Many of your listeners have heard many of you know, the experts that you've had on your show before talk about cadence. And um, that's another simple variable that most likely um, will help improve overstriding. So, you know, it's not like the end all be all and it's going to fix everything. Um, like when people started talking about cadence um, about, you know, 10 years ago, uh, but it can be a helpful tool if you do know many of us on our wearables, whether it's your Garmin or Koros or whatever watch you have, um, you know, you can take a look at your cadence and, you know, if it is on the lower side, if it's in the one fifties, like, you know, as a novice runner, you know, I, I like to see shooting for, you don't need to be at one eighty, and people have, you know, talked about that number before, but, you know, let's get in the one sixties and make sure we're at least there, especially if you are kind of new to running. And if you've been doing it for a while, and this has been a chronic problem for you, I'm going to want you to shoot for upper one sixties. Let's see if we can, you know, train your body slowly to get up a little bit more to like one seventy, and see if that makes a difference, um, you know, in, in the pain that you're having. I'm glad that you said that you know, not any single one of these approaches or strategies is like a cure-all. And, and I think particularly with shin splints, you know, we need to look at all of these options for both treating and preventing shin splints. And I do want to get into prevention soon, but we have to look at all these options as like this big buffet and we can sample many of these options at the same time. So we can vary our footwear. We can do some lower leg strengthening exercises. We can get on varied terrain and we can, you know, do all these things that we're talking about, adjusting our workload and our pace and things like that. And our shin splints are likely going to improve, but it, it really is coming from this global effort rather than on, you know, oh, I'm just going to add in foam rolling twice a week and then I'm going to be okay, right? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you bring up a, a great point there. And, you know, even before we get into the prevention side, if we can kind of share and, you know, I guess I'll, I'll let your listeners know, like a lot of what we're talking about today, Jason, you know, I do have as a kind of a, a downloadable PDF on kind of how runners can 
conquer shin splints and, you know, have a lot of the principles that we're talking about today. And one of these newer principles that many people may have not heard about, but I'm, I'm thinking your listeners, because there's such an educated audience. And I feel like I've even listened to episodes on your show before where um, some experts have talked about this kind of newer, you know, train of thought in treatment approach, right? So again, guys, if you have shin splints and you go to your medical provider, no matter who it is, PT, Cairo, doctor, whoever, right? And athletic trainer, whoever they, and they say like, all right, let's ice, let's foam roll. Um, let's just stop running for, you know, three to five days. Um, I would highly recommend you seek another provider out that uh, is either a runner themselves or works with a lot of runners. And we really, I like to utilize kind of this newer model of, as opposed to rest ice, compression, throw some tape on it, um, you know, this more peace and love. And I feel like, you know, you've probably had experts talk about this on the show before, and it it really relates to kind of how we treat soft tissue injuries. And it it comes from a paper um, in the British Journal of Sports Medicine, um, you know, about three years ago now, 2020, it was released, but it's this acronym like, hey, we want to use the acronym PEACE in the acute phase. So let's say this has started in the last three to five days, as opposed to just like icing, taking anti-inflammatories and not running you know, applying some peace. So the peace, you know, the peace stands for protection. So avoiding activities and movements that really increase the, that pain during the first few days. And you already talked about Jason, that you can simply do that by changing, right? Like the run that you did and the terrain that you did and, or, you know, messing around with some of the variables in terms of like duration or intensity. So we can kind of protect it in that fashion. Elevation, um, may be beneficial in shin splint, this usually not unless you do see some swelling and it's not true medial tibial stress syndrome. And maybe it is this tendon pain of the posterior tibial tendon that might be helpful, but they actually recommend avoiding anti-inflammatories. And I do think that this is very pertinent for medial tibial stress syndrome because this is, again, it's like connected to the bone. And a lot of times um, when we take anti-inflammatories, number one, it is getting a little controversial on like should we be taking a lot of anti-inflammatories for a long period of time? Because we do want some inflammation for the body to actually stimulate the next healing process, as opposed to someone who has had shin splints chronically now for weeks, and they're just taking anti-inflammatories, and you're not actually allowing your body to get to the next phase of healing, where we actually start to remodel and heal the tissue. So they actually recommend avoiding anti-inflammatories and um, adding some compression. So especially for shin splints, compression socks, like a lot of runners wear compression socks, are a great thing. Um, And that's a strategy that I would recommend um, for runners in the short term and even long term wise, if you you just have a tendency to get them and you know that you really do have a hard workout coming up or you really have a long run and you're a little concerned, hey, I don't want to get some minor pain here, like throw on your compression socks. um, That can be helpful. And then just like education. And that was like kind of what we already talked about the mindset in the beginning. That's peace. So P E A C E. And then love is probably the area where most people are in if they found this episode, quite frankly, because you've probably been having it for a while where, you you know, the pain is that great where you're like, let me search. Like, how do I get rid of shin splints uh, in running? And, you know, you're at this phase and you need some love, the acronym. And the L stands for load. And this is where we're going to have some fun, I'm sure, getting into like strengthening your muscles and actually adding mechanical load. 
um, to stimulate collagen formation, to aid in healing. And then O is the optimism, which kind of goes to the mindset piece and really conditioning your brain for optimal recovery and saying like, hey, I'm confident, I'm positive that this is going to get better versus like pessimism and thinking like, oh my goodness, I went for this run and I felt the pain again. I'm never going to get better and I'm never going to be able to run this half marathon or I'm never going to be able to run this marathon, right? So optimism is a powerful thing. Um, so we want to utilize our brain and then vascularization. So really making sure that we're promoting exercise. And even if it is, let's say, a higher amount of pain levels, you know, staying active, like even if you couldn't run, let's just say, like most likely, like you had mentioned, most people can actually run through this, but even hopping on the elliptical, right? If you can do that pain-free, that's going to stimulate blood flow to the area and also help repair those tissues. And then really the E stands for exercise. And it really results in looking at whether there's any mobility impairments going on that could be contributing whether there's strength impairments, whether it's neuromuscular control and balance, and really applying more of this active approach to recovery and treating the whole body, not just the shin. I'm glad you brought up cross-training, which I, I think is not something that runners usually think of as a, a, a treatment approach for a particular injury. And, you know, this idea of vascularization, I think is really important because blood flow is really healing. And a lot of the times, if you have an injured muscle, um, you know, whether it's, you know, something in your shin area, or if it's a different muscle altogether, and you can't run, one of the best things you can do is to do some form of cross training that is going to work that muscle. It's going to increase blood flow. It's really going to help, uh, you know, open up a different range of motion, most likely than your standard running motion that you would likely have been doing. And, you know, I, I was going to ask you if, you know, doing some cycling, elliptical, or even pool running would be helpful for our, you know, theoretical runner that we were discussing earlier that just started experiencing some shin splints, you know, and they want to reduce the, the load of their training, but at the same time, they want to keep the load as high as they can so that their training is progressing. They're still gaining fitness is, is cross training a viable method to bridge that gap to not only maintain a lot of fitness while you're dealing with shin splints, but also promote the recovery of those shin splints. Heck yeah, man. Yeah, definitely. It's going to bring that vascularization, right? That blood flow. And like you said, maintain that running fitness, right? Maintain some of your cardiovascular fitness so you don't go and lose everything that you've been working on in terms of like aerobic capacity. So you know how important that is for like building a base and having good aerobic capacity. And unfortunately, you know, we do start to see differences um, in deconditioning, like anytime you don't do that for a week or a little bit more than that. And so a couple of days, you're good. But, you know, anything after that, you definitely want to maintain some of that aerobic fitness that you have because you've worked so hard, right, to obtain it. And we don't want to see you lose that. So yeah, absolutely, Jason. Dwayne, let's think about a runner who has never had shin splints, but they don't want to get shin splints. What are some of the the things they can incorporate into their training to reduce the risk. And, um, you know, I'm certainly asking you to put your running coach's hat on. And I think a lot of this is going to be more of what we discussed is helpful for treatment. Is that right? 
Absolutely. Um, you know, there's definitely a couple of key areas from kind of a physical therapy standpoint um, and movement standpoint that I really like to assess in my runners. And especially if you are a female runner, quite frankly, um, we see, you know, this and the research supports this is that unfortunately our female runners will have a tendency to have a running gait pattern that is more of what we call kind of a collapsing gait pattern. So, you know, you are going to have this pelvis that may drop and your knee may go in and that results in a lot of forces um, kind of what we call either in the frontal plane or the transverse plane. So like this torsional type forces. And we do tend to see that pattern in those that get shin splints as well. So how do we correct those patterns, right? And some of it can be some cueing and some run running form drills, but oftentimes there is an underlying weakness issue or what we call just a motor control you know, issue where you're just not turning on certain muscles because you never knew how to turn them on. Or maybe you had an injury in, you've had Achilles pain or you had IT band syndrome once. And when you had your IT band syndrome, your side hip muscles kind of shut off because you had pain. When we get pain, the brain says like, hey, I'm going to, you know, protect this area. I'm not going to activate certain muscles. And sometimes if you don't actually wake those muscles up, and activate them, then they can stay sleepy um, for a while. And you might be running and not even knowing that, hey, I'm not even turning these muscles on. So you might have this kind of common pattern. So, you know, common muscle groups that we tend to see, you know, shin splints in, in runners is really weakness of your side hip muscles. So there's, you know, the big one is the glute medius, but there's one underneath it, your minimus muscle, and those can be weak resulting in your pelvis dropping. So, you know, making sure that you have exercises that target those muscles. And this kind of goes into what we talked about treatment before is that we're looking at the whole body. You are a runner. You're not only a runner, but you're an athlete. And really treating you like an athlete and looking at the whole kinetic chain, we call it, and looking at the hips, looking at the core, and making sure that we are strengthening those muscles while you are training to run. You need to like train in order to run and strengthen certain muscles and strength train in order to run and activate, you know, certain muscles. So I do have like a series of like my top five kind of mini band exercises for runners on my YouTube channel that it'd be extremely helpful. And I know you have many circuits as well um, to really activate those side hip muscles. The deep rotators are also important because they prevent that femur bone and the tibia from kind of rolling in if you have more of that pattern and you're going to be more susceptible then you know that's going to be really important for your muscles to be even stronger when you're running than kind of the average person um so those are going to be really important um as well as the lower leg muscles. So I also have kind of like my six best exercises for shin splints on my YouTube channel, which is really strengthening the muscles in and around that bone. So really targeting your ankle everters and isolating out, 
eversion, isolating out inversion. And they are a little different, you'll see, than like the standard PT exercise for anyone who's went to PT and they had you on a table and they like gave you a TheraBand and you were just like pointing your toe in and out, kind of going to town, going in, going to town, going out. And they're like, do 30 of those, do 30. And you've been doing that for like three times a week for six weeks. And you're like, what is this doing? Right? Like, so many people can relate to this right now. Um, so these are going to be different. They're going to really target and isolate these muscles a little better. And then there's progressions to standing because when we run, we're our foot's on the ground, right? We're not just on a table. So we need to be able to use those muscles in a standing position. Um, so really working kind of the everters on the side, working the front muscle, your anterior tib muscle, especially if your pain is in more of that anterior tib muscle in the front working the inside muscle, your posterior tibialis muscle will be really important. Um, and then, you know, integrating that with some calf raises, I love to do like a simple exercise I can kind of describe here on the podcast is, you know, taking a tennis ball, taking a lacrosse ball and placing it in between your heels and doing a bilateral calf raise, really driving your big toe joints down into the ground. So you're not kind of envisioning rolling your ankles outward to the side, you're really driving the first toe down right under that kind of knuckle of your big toe. Um, like if you had a quarter underneath, you're kind of squishing the quarter and then push your heels in into the ball and then bring your heels out a little bit and then come down out of that calf raise. And you can increase the intensity of doing this off the level of a step. Not only will you build in strength and resilience for Achilles tendon to prevent Achilles tendinopathy, but you're also going to get some posterior tibial strengthening in that range as well as some short foot stability. And you know, just looking at the foot itself, there are muscles under your foot, especially if you've always been told you know, you have flat feet, you need to be in a stability shoe, you know, going back 10 years, you need to be in a motion control shoe. Here's the Brooks beast, right? And like, that's the shoe you've been given. And, or you're like, you need orthotics and you've been running in orthotics for 10 plus years. Hey, that was me like up until two years ago. So I've been there. I know what you're feeling. Like literally your muscles in your foot will not be able to activate you won't be able to spread your toes because that was me um, at, you know, 38 years old. I was like, this is wrong. Like I should be able to move my toes. Like I'm not 90. Right. Um, but unfortunately, you know, the problem with orthotics is yes, they do a good job of stopping motion in the foot and can make you feel good in the short term. And this is what research has proven now. Um, unfortunately, the long-term consequences of that is you get a lot of stiffness in the joints in your foot and your ankle joint, and you get a lot of atrophy of your deep foot muscles, which are super important for actually stabilizing the structures in our foot and help us have a stronger running body when we are running. Yeah, right. It's like you want your foot to do the work, not the orthotic. And if the orthotic is doing the work, then that means your foot is no longer up to the task of doing the work. And that's a, that's a dangerous place to be. Um, Dwayne, what would you say for the athlete who's, who's doing all this kinds of great strength work, you know, they're, they're building up not just their shin muscles and their, their ankle muscles, but their calves as well. What's the impact of running volume or intensity on your risk of getting shin splints? Because, you know, I, I tend to say, 
you know, <laughs> poor training is going to get you no matter how much strength training that you're doing. So, you know, if someone is wildly swinging either the intensity of their workouts, you know, going from no, no workouts at all to two hard workouts a week or going from 15 miles a week to 45 miles a week, it is load the real the real key here to focus in on if you want to prevent shin splints? Absolutely. Yes. 1000%, Jason. Um, it is like training smart with proper progression. And many people have heard like the 10% rule and like, don't go beyond 10% each week. Um, so, you know, that, that can be helpful in looking at like, how much do you increase each week? I even tend to honestly even be a little more conservative than that, especially if you're in the twenties, thirties, 40 miles per week range. Um, you know, it is going to be a, a kind of a, a slow build and also thinking about all the runs in your week. So not only looking at weekly training volume, which sometimes quite frankly is often forgotten about by many runners who aren't working with a coach, but also, you know, thinking about your long run. And is this the first time that you're running a marathon? Is this the first 14, the first 16, first 18 you're ever going to do in your life, right? Or is this the first one you're doing in 20 years? I got a runner right now who is going to be running her first actual half marathon that we just started um, in 20 years, right? Like it's been a long time since your body's been there. So it's almost like starting again from scratch. And even just having that mindset when you are building up and those that are not working with a coach, you guys have to be careful when you download the free plans on the internet um, because a lot of times I see people download plans and or the plans on your watch, quite frankly, um, are very aggressive for a lot of people starting out. Um, I've seen many, many injured runners who just like, were like, Hey, my watch had a half marathon plan or a marathon plan. I just did it. Like, Hey, they said, that's what I should be doing. And they're doing three days of speed work and, you know, they're novice and kind of coming from no base or foundation and they're jumping right into half marathon or marathon training. Um, so it is really, really important and is, is probably the most critical part, Jason, of like preventing this. And that's why, you know, a lot of experienced runners don't get shin splints is because they figured this out. And usually it is, they've gotten injured. We do know that seven out of nine runners listening to this right now will get injured this next year. Um, so you kind of, you know, unfortunately we learn from our mistakes, just like I did when I started running, even though I was a, you know, orthopedic specialist, sports, physical therapist who worked with a lot of runners, I still made the training mistakes because I didn't know about the coaching part, Jason. Um, and it is like very, very important. So if you're starting out, as a novice, like take the time to learn about the actual sport. You know, you don't need to think about like, Hey, you're not a cross country runner. You're not a fast runner. Like if you're a mid of the pack runner, a back of the pack runner, you still need to follow these principles. If anything, probably even more so quite frankly, honestly, because you need to train your body in order to run. So part of that is the strength training, but then also making sure that your run plan is appropriate for what your body is going to be able to tolerate the demands of running. And it will be able to adapt. But a lot of times we just get so impatient and we have this like 
we have to do this marathon in 2023. We have to do this marathon because it's my 40th birthday, my 50th birthday. But we haven't put the things in place, the six months, the nine months, the 12 months, the two years, the five years before that big marathon goal. So I highly encourage your listeners to start thinking long-term and think about your long-term health if you want to actually run for the mental benefits that it gives us and be able to do it for a long time. Because if you're anything like me, like I want to run till I'm like in the box, right? Like I'm looking to like finally get on the podium one day, Jason, you know, if I'm in the 90 year old category, like, Hey, like if that's when I'm going to get on the podium somewhere, um, you know, that's what I'm looking to do. I think that might be more impressive if you're on the the 90 year old (laughs) podium, Dwayne. (laughs) No, that's a good point because I I do think, you know, I I also wish runners thought more in terms of months and years instead of days and weeks. And and that approach is much more conducive to healthier runners and also more performance oriented runners who who know that it take it takes time, you know, it takes a lot of time to you know, prepare yourself for the training itself. Um, and, and you did bring up a good point with training plans and how if you are looking for a training plan, I'll just give a quick tip on how to know if a training plan is going to be a good fit for you. I like to look at the first week of the training plan. That should be relatively easy. And the hardest week of the training program shouldn't really be more than about 10% more than what you've ever done before. So you know, if it peaks at 50 miles a week, you know, 50 miles a week, and you've only ever run 40 miles in a week, I'm a little nervous. You can probably get away with it if you're really smart and you have good guidance, but I would like to be a little bit less aggressive than that. And so if you, if you follow those two rules, make sure the start is very reasonable and manageable, and then make sure the peak week isn't more than about 10% than what you're have done in the past, you've probably found a good training plan that isn't going to, you know, stress you too much. No, great, great point. And even I know you've talked about this many times before too, is like training cycles and really setting yourself up during that base phase and building up so you can get there, especially we see a lot of like new moms um, or, you know, post-COVID runners who either, you know, didn't run during COVID, you haven't raced in three or four years. Um, So it's really been a while since your body's been where it was like pre-COVID, right? And doing that element of training. So it is going to take time for your body to adapt back into that type of training. So excellent point in terms of really picking the right plan for you, but even just shifting your mindset, guys, and not just thinking it's that one training cycle that is going to give you that like magic miracle, you know, race result that you're looking for. You have to think months and like you said, years, um, you know, before that. Yeah. I remember when I ran my first marathon and it didn't go great. You know, I I ran 244 at New York city and, you know, I, I got a lot of questions, you know, how did you run a 244 marathon? And, you know, they had a lot of questions about, you know, the last couple months of my training. And I was like, look, it's not really about the last couple months. Like, of course that matters. Of course that put me in the position to succeed, but that's the icing on the cake. I've already been running for a decade. That's where all the fitness came from. So I've been running 15 to 19 mile long runs for like five years. Of course, I was going to have 
a pretty decent marathon. So to me, like I, I love that long-term perspective. I think it's an exciting perspective because you have much more control over that. You're not trying to rush things and you can really plan a lot more strategically for that long-term. Um, now, Dwayne, we have certainly covered a lot of ground here, and I'm sure we could have made this into a three-hour podcast <laughs> on shin splints, but I, I, I doubt that even we have that kind of endurance. So uh, <laughs> nevertheless, is there anything I have missed that you'd like to talk about with regard to shin splints? You know, I, I know we discussed ibuprofen and other uh, NSAIDs or non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. Um, you know, anything about icing, static stretching, uh, barefoot running, any kind of barefoot work, anything related to that that you'd like to add? You know, just from the standpoint of barefoot work, I do think that definitely activating your short foot muscles. So the muscle on the bottom of your feet and doing exercises. And I'm a big proponent of doing your strength training in less supportive shoes where you can feel the ground and actually use those intrinsic foot muscles, we call them. And I have on you know my YouTube channel, like the short foot exercise and how we activate that. And I'm incorporating that to all of the exercise that I'm doing in the gym. And you know when you're in the gym, you don't want to be in hocus. You don't want to be in this high stack height shoe because you actually want to feel the floor and be able to utilize those muscles so they do get stronger and they are more protective for you. You know, definitely taking it to the next level is doing some short, you know, work if you can get out there and the weather's nice and, you know, do some short runs on the grass and, you know, be able to take your shoes off and actually allow your body to adapt to some barefoot running. Um, you know, most runners don't have the patience to properly build up um, slowly and gradually um, to really kind of make that transition. But if you are thinking about going to more minimalism shoes, you know, you want to think of a nine month transition. That's kind of honestly my minimum. Some people say like four to six months. I'm like nine months to allow your body to really adapt to those demands. Um, you know, static stretching can be helpful um, for those of you who have really tight calves. And if it is truly a flexibility issue with your calf muscle, that's going to limit your ankle mobility. And you may benefit from static stretching your calves. The best time is not before your run, is after your run. When you have all that blood flow in there, you've been contracting your calf muscles every single step that you take. They're the muscle that is most loaded when we run slowly. So when we're getting 80% of those runs out there at our easy pace, it's our soleus muscle primarily, you know, in your calf complex that is under the most demand when we're doing those easy runs. So, you know, they're shortening, they're contracting the whole time. So to restore them back to their resting length after, super important. So making sure that you're doing that after your runs. Um, and usually we tend to kind of just want to like take a shower and skip that part. Um, but if you really are having flexibility issues there, that's going to be important for you. For some of you, if you don't have flexibility issues there, you're not going to really need to stretch a whole lot. Um, so it kind of really all depends, Jason, on going back to what is the root cause to why this individual is getting shin splints. The most common, as you said, I guess kind of like recapping this here, is the training errors, right? And what you're doing with your run plan 
But then also, if you have weakness in the hip muscles, you need to address that. If you have weakness in the foot and ankle muscles, kind of those lower leg muscles, you need to address that. If it's a flexibility issue, you need to address that. Um, if it's a running form issue and you are just constantly overstriding and you have a really, really slow step rate and cadence, then improving that is going to make a big difference. Um, or if you've just been running in shoes that have like 800 miles on them, then yeah, like replace your shoes. Um, you know, so, and it's usually a combination of a couple of those variables that I just, uh, mentioned there, but it is a matter of kind of getting down to some of those, uh, root causes. And my suggestion is to throw the kitchen sink at your shin splints, you know, rotate your shoes, get strong, do these strength exercises, vary the stimulus that your feet and lower legs are experiencing and, and just be consistent with load. Of course, there needs to be some progression, but wild swings in either volume or intensity are, are going to be the number one cause of shin splints. Um, Dwayne, this has been so helpful for me as I wrap my head around this very annoying injury that I sometimes don't think is a real injury. You know, this isn't like your stress fractures or, you know, your Achilles tendinopathy that can really be uh, a season ending type of injury. So uh, there's a lot of resources here in this episode for athletes to tackle their shin splints. Um, now you mentioned your YouTube channel and a couple of workout uh, routines that you have. Uh, what's the name of your YouTube channel? Do you have any other resources that runners might enjoy? Yeah, no, absolutely. The YouTube channel is Spark Healthy Runner. And um, if you like podcasts, um, you'll find a lot of information like this on the Healthy Runner podcast. And, um, you know, the, the free resources, honestly, that I have for these injuries that are so common in runners, just because I really was a frustrated physical therapist, always constantly having to fix runners and then see them come back in my clinic um, injured again. So I'm a real big believer on education and, you know, empowering you to be able to kind of overcome these injuries. So if you go to learn.sparkhealthyrunner.com, you can see all of, you know, the free eBooks, trainings, video resources. I got visuals on, you know, there's one for shin splints, but there's also one for proximal hamstring tendinopathy, one for runner's knee, uh, one for IT band syndrome. So those are, uh, have been tremendously helpful for a lot of runners to really, you know, get some solid evidence-based information um, than what, most likely you're going to find some regurgitated like big corporate or hospital systems like, you know, SEO when you Google shin splints and it just tells you uh, to ice and rest and stop running and maybe modify um, your training. So yeah, I, I, my goal is to really help you guys continue to, you know, get stronger, run faster and enjoy lifelong injury-free running because this is such an amazing activity. And if honestly, quite frankly, like more of the population did it, <laughs> we'd be a lot happier, right? Uh, there'd be a lot more happier people out there and um, we'd have healthier population than we do, quite frankly. Um, so you're in a very like active area in Denver, Connecticut over here. We're a pretty active community and there's a you know pretty vibrant running community here as well. And you know we just need to spread honestly and how to do this right. And that's why I love your show so much, Jason, um, is because you bring on, you know, some great experts and you share such valuable information that I learned from, quite frankly, um, you know, in my own personal running journey and, you know, in my coaching journey myself, um, we just need to get that information out to the masses a little bit more. So um, anything I could do to help that. Um, yeah, let's let's just keep on running. 
Yeah. Well, you delivered today, Dwayne. So thank you very much. Awesome. Well, I'm glad it was helpful and it's always great uh, catching up. Thanks for having me on. And there we have it. Thanks for listening. And if you'd like to pay it forward, please rate and review the show, share it with your running friends or club, or invest in a training program at strengthrunning.com slash coaching. And if you'd like to learn more about reducing your injury risk so that you can train more consistently, go to strengthrunning.com slash prevention. You can also support the show by supporting our sponsors. Use their links and discount codes to support the podcast and indicate to the sponsors that they should continue supporting this show. First, hook yourself up with the best running sunglasses you can buy. Gooder sunglasses are affordable, with most pairs costing only $25. But most importantly, they're made for running, with polarized lenses, and they're lightweight, comfortable, and they won't slip or bounce off your face when you're running. And if you watch Strength Running's YouTube channel, you know that I've been wearing Gooders for years. Sponsorship or not, I love this brand, and I'm thrilled to partner with them because these are the hottest sunglasses on the market. They have hundreds of styles and color patterns, so you can find fun glasses that fit your personality. They're also a 100% carbon neutral company, meaning they offset all of their carbon emissions, and they donate 1% of their profits to environmental causes. Get yourself a pair at gooder.com slash strengthrunning. That's G-O-O-D-R dot com slash strengthrunning, and we'll hook you up with free shipping. Next, let's get you some free electrolytes too. Our sponsor, Elemental Labs, is offering a free gift with your purchase at drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning. And this does not have to be your first purchase. You're going to get a sample pack with every flavor, so you can try them all out before deciding what you like best. Personally, I'm a watermelon guy. It's just my absolute favorite. Elemental Labs makes electrolytes for athletes and low-carb folks with no sugar, no artificial ingredients or colors. And I'm now in the habit of giving away boxes of Element at group runs all around Denver and Boulder, and everyone loves this stuff. It can be a really helpful way to prevent dehydration when you're running long, and if you sometimes feel overly tired or you get headaches, cramps, or sleeplessness, especially after long runs or faster workouts, you might have an electrolyte imbalance or some type of deficiency. Boost your performance and your recovery, especially in the heat, with Elemental Labs. They're the exclusive hydration partner to Team USA Weightlifting, and quite a few professional teams in the baseball, hockey, and basketball programs are on regular subscriptions. Plus, I admittedly like to have some Element if I've had a few adult beverages and I want my morning to feel a little smoother. Check them out at drinklmnt.com strengthrunning. You'll get a free sample pack gift with your purchase, and you'll get your hydration optimized for the spring and summer seasons. That's our show, runners. Thanks for subscribing and sharing this show with your friends. Support us by using the sponsor links, reviewing the podcast, or getting a training program for yourself at strengthrunning.com coaching. My number one goal is to elevate your running. So don't ever hesitate to reach out to me through the Strength Running website, or you can message me on Instagram at Jason Fitz one We'll talk soon. 